Welcome to the ECCF podcast, a monthly podcast by the Early Career Climate Forum about climate science, science communication, and career advice for graduate students and early career professionals in climate-related fields. I'm your host, Tony Klem, and today I'm talking to an expert from the University of Illinois at Chicago to tackle two topics at once. Finding work as a recent graduate in a very challenging job market due to COVID-19 and the economic recession that came with it, and finding long-term career paths that fit our values, skills, and interests, while contending with the fact that it's becoming more difficult for researchers to get an academic tenure-track position. Thanks very much, Phil Clifford, for joining us. Phil, you are the Associate Dean for Research at the College of Applied Health Sciences at the University of Illinois at Chicago, and you're also a co-lead of MyIDP, a initiative by the American Association for the Advancement of Science to provide career advice for young professionals and um, graduate students. Before we get started with our interview, um, could you tell us a little bit more about MyIDP, what it provides and how it works? Sure. Thanks for inviting me to join you uh, today, Tony. Um, IIDP was uh, created to help fill the vacuum for scientists to have a systematic approach to career planning. The idea of an individual development plan came out of a committee at FASEB, the Federation of American Societies of Experimental Biology, My colleagues and I put together a concept and an outline for how to do an individual development plan, but faculty and postdocs told us that um, they needed more materials than that. That idea was first launched in 2002, so it's, it's been around for a while. It took a decade then before we could really put the meat on uh, that and create the materials that turned into my IDP, which was launched by AAAS in September 2012. The idea is that uh, up until then, uh, lots of postdocs in particular, graduate students have some sort of uh, format around their training, right? There's a, there's a schedule of courses that they're supposed to take and things that they're supposed to complete. Postdocs don't have any of that. And so it just seemed like they're winging it with regard to their career. And we felt like they needed this systematic approach that guides them through understanding themselves, understanding different career opportunities, setting some goals, not just about research, certainly the research is important, but goals around their career uh, development and then um, implementing that plan along with a group of mentors that they would put together. Fascinating. Very interesting. Now, before I ask you about career advice and everything, how has your day-to-day job changed in the last two months because of COVID-19? Well, it's been a dramatic change for me, just like it has uh, for almost uh, everyone else. In mid-March, when the decision was made at our university level uh, to shut down uh, laboratories, then part of my administrative responsibility was to communicate that to researchers uh, in our college. Um, In addition to that, my own research lab, which focuses on human cardiovascular research, uh, had to be shut down, and we're not able any longer uh, to do the research that we had uh, planned. Um, I had 
plans for spring break, which came uh, right about that same time. Um, and my wife and I decided to cancel our flights, but in fact drive uh, to join, uh, to spend some time with our daughter in Little Rock, Arkansas. The plan was to go there for a week. We came back last week after two months uh, staying with her. So we packed for a week and we took materials. During that time though, I had to work because I wasn't on vacation for, uh, for that time. So I'm responsible for professional development activities for graduate students, postdocs, faculty, and clinical research coordinators. And so we transitioned our professional development programs to online. We redesigned a summer clinical and translational methods course to put it online. I've been attending Zoom training for how to do online uh, teaching because we have, we do training for mentors to teach them how to mentor. Uh, and so each semester we have a series of sessions that the interaction between the participants is the most important part of it. And I really didn't know how we could do that uh, online. I've uh, facilitated a task force for how we're going to reopen research um, uh, in our college. And so I've been trying to do all those things. To be honest, they're not the hard work like sitting down and writing a paper. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, uh, that seems to me to have been the most difficult thing has, is to take the, the intense effort uh, with all the other things swirling, the intense effort uh, to really get uh, manuscripts and grant proposals done. I can imagine. At least you were working in a very nice environment, I imagine. I was working in a very nice environment. And uh, personally, it was, uh, I'm, I live in Chicago. I'm talking to you from Chicago today, where we still have a lockdown in place. Parks and Outside facilities are shut down to prevent uh, gathering in large numbers. So that would have been really a challenge for me. In Little Rock, Arkansas, where my daughter lives, I was able to get out regularly to exercise. I rode during that time, I rode 1,500 miles on my bike. Oh, goodness. Uh, we were able to make family meal times to have some sort of event on a on an almost daily basis where we cooked on the grill and did all of that sort of thing. And so it's important in these times to maintain some structure. And so the structure was around doing things with the family and also being uh, part of a small group from our church uh, that began meeting on, on Zoom. So um, we've, we've tried to maintain some sort of normality in the midst of everything that's going on. We'll be back in a minute with our conversation with Dr. Phil Clifford, co-lead of the AAAS My IDP Initiative. If you like our podcasts and would like to be the first to know when new episodes come out, subscribe to us on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, or Spotify. And please leave a review. We're always curious about your feedback. Back to our conversation with Phil. So I think we're all feeling the impacts of the coronavirus um, and perhaps especially recent graduates. The spring semester just ended. So recent graduates and everyone else who's looking for work, what kind of job market do we need to prepare for in the near future, in the next months 
and perhaps the next year. I think it's no surprise that it's going to be a tight market, regardless of uh, field. Do you think some some areas are some fields are more affected than others, or some are even um, easier to get into because of our situation? I haven't heard of the ones that seem like they're going to be easier. I think one of the targets that many PhD scientists have for their careers is academic positions. And I think those are going to be tougher than ever. We have a job freeze now at UIC, and I know many other universities across the country. I've, I've seen lists of dozens of them who have job freezes. In fact, ours interrupted job searches that were already ongoing, for which candidates had applied and were being interviewed. Some of those uh, are being stopped. I have read about that. Yeah, I think Texas A&M, where I, where I work, um, has a job freeze as well. And some of the universities that I'm applying right now. And if you imagine that some of those universities are expecting they're going to have uh, cuts from the states that help support them, uh, and they're going to have reduced uh, attendance uh, from students, then the finances that support those positions are in real jeopardy. And I think that's going to have effects not just for the next six months or a year. I think it's going to have effects for several years. What do you think the hardest jobs will be to get into right now and maybe in the near future? I think that within academia, jobs that involve teaching might be the ones that are the easiest to get for people who have significant experience with real teaching, not just being a TA, but teaching a full course, and especially those that have some ex some significant experience with online. But that's relatively easier, and the harder jobs are going to be the ones that involve primarily research if people aren't bringing in existing funding. Uh, to those positions. If you have a grant that'll, that's transportable, that allows you to bring it into the institution, I think that's going to be, um, that's going to help you get over that hurdle. But the, the difficulties with funding of universities is going to decrease the amount of money that's available for startup funds and, uh, and for salaries and other support. Uh, for academic position. What, what do you think for jobs outside of academia, for example, uh, museums, arts and humanities um, versus uh, commercial sector or nonprofit sectors, what are going to be uh, the ones that are hit the worst? Museums are particularly affected by, by whether there will be donations to help support Uh, those organizations, and they, uh, it depends on the funding structure, but for example, the museums in the Chicago area get significant funding from the city and state, and those budgets are going to be stretched. For nonprofits, it depends on the mission of the nonprofits. Some of the nonprofits that are, that are doing uh, tasks related to COVID uh, have opportunities to reach out um, and, uh, and receive funding from uh, both private and 
governmental agencies uh, to help keep them doing what they're doing. So if your work can be somehow related to uh, the pandemic, uh, including the social uh, aspects, the social and behavioral aspects uh, of this pandemic. It's not all just the microbiology, the virology uh, part of it. Then I think there might be some opportunities there. Do you have any insights uh, about job markets in other countries? Is it worth looking internationally, given that we're in a pandemic? Yeah, I have uh, I have a limited knowledge of the situation prior to the pandemic uh, in other countries. And the, the job market, the academic job market certainly varies by country, but I think the generalization I could make is that in Europe, uh, academic jobs are more difficult than in the US. Do you know why? A major factor is the numbers of PhDs that have been produced uh, or have been granted uh, over the last 10 or 20 years. Uh, the growth in the number of PhD scientists in Europe has exceeded on a percentage basis those in the US. Countries like Germany, for example, which haven't increased dramatically the numbers of universities, have limited number of slots, but growing numbers of PhD scientists. So it's a question of supply and demand, basically. Absolutely. What do you think, in your experience and from what you hear from students uh, and postdocs and um, maybe people in companies and Uh, universities, nonprofits, what are some common misconceptions about job search that people that are looking for jobs are getting wrong? What I hear from graduate students and postdocs is that they're sending out lots of CVs and resumes. They're not targeted to, they might be posting them on a website or they might be sending them to an organization they want to be a part of, but they're not targeted to a specific position. And what we've known since the 1970s is that most jobs are found through connections with other people. Uh, and that includes academic positions, people that have gotten to know you during your graduate and postdoc career um, who are interested in the skills and things that you bring uh, to the table. So I think just mailing out Uh, or emailing out or posting uh, CVs and resumes isn't a high probability way to find a new position. So personal connections are um, a big step up in, in terms of your chances. Personal connections, what's been called informational interviewing. The idea is that you connect to other people in the kind of company that you would like to work with or the kind of organization or the kind of academic institution that you want to be a part of and find out what their uh, find out what their job is like what kind of tasks do they do on a regular basis uh, what kind of skills are valued within that organization what's the what's the work-life balance in that? Uh, organization to really get the inside information 
about those jobs, you connect with other people and talk to them. And um, as you develop your network and as you talk to other people about their jobs, then uh, you find out about opportunities that are there. I remember those informational interviews. Um, I've done some of those last year, and it, it was very it's very intimidating to me to contact people out of the blue, people that uh, people whose jobs I would be interested in or whose careers I would be interested in, but who I had no personal connection to. I reached out to someone on LinkedIn for that, and and she was very happy to talk to me. She was working at a nonprofit, and she was very happy to talk to me. And in fact, it took some convincing myself to do it, but the value I got out of it um, was beyond anything I could have I could have read in a paper or in a newspaper or on a website. So I, I appreciate you mentioning that. I I can really um I echo that. I can really recommend doing that. Yeah. Well that's a great testimonial and and um and uh kudos to you for reaching out to someone and getting over that um that awkwardness uh to have a worthwhile conversation. Once you've done one or two, you find that it's easier to do others because people are very happy uh, to give back by sharing the experience that they've gotten. I'll give you one little piece of data. We've done a survey of users of MyIDP, and so we have data back from over 8,000 users, and we asked them what was the most helpful thing in their career exploration? What was the most helpful resource? Was it their PI? Was it another faculty member? Was it uh, reading materials? Was it talking to a professional in their career of interest? Was it talking to their peers, a career counselor? All these different resources. And, and of those resources, by, by far what they found most helpful was to talk to a professional in a career they were interested in. And this applied to graduate students, to postdocs, whether they were internationals or US citizens, uh, whether they were male or female, they all found value like you did in talking to people in the careers that they were interested in pursuing. So if I were to recommend one thing to uh, graduate students and postdocs in your field, it's to talk to other people who have careers that sound like they might be interesting to you. What are some skills that are commonly important besides our technical and uh, scientific expertise that we learn from doing our research, from going to graduate school, taking classes? What are some skills that are important that are often overlooked? Well, thanks. Thanks for that question. We often define ourselves as scientists by the technical skills that we have. But when we hear from employers, we find out that they're interested in other kinds of skills. Certainly, you have to have those technical skills, but that's just the baseline. On top of that, you need to have good communication skills, problem-solving skills, uh, Teamwork is really um, a big issue. There's a, a, a publication that came out from the Life Science Workforce uh, Survey where they asked 
employers what they were looking for in employees. And for PhD scientists, what they wanted the most was communication skills and good research skills. They also wanted writing and, and organizational skills. Teamwork uh, comes and collaborative, an ability to be collaborative come uh, in that. So we learn these skills, some of them during our PhD, but some of them we don't. Often our PhD work is, a, is an isolated, we're isolated during that time. And so uh, doing something else that would teach that teamwork and collaboration would be a useful thing to do. And that could be as simple as joining an organization at your university or being part of some group at the university where you take a leadership role to demonstrate your teamwork and leadership skills. Organizing a seminar series, for example, in your department or a, a journal club with fellow grad students, maybe. Great suggestions. And those are certainly applicable these days. You can, right. you can still do that uh, using Zoom and WebEx and whatever your favorite format is. So. Um, it, there's there are opportunities now to develop those skills without thinking you've got to take another course or you've got to do something that's a more structured uh, activity on campus. What suggestions do you have to to get those skills um, or get better at those uh, at those uh, skills if we already graduated, if we're already um, finished with our postdoc? Well, assuming that you're still at the university, that you're a graduate student or a postdoc, um, I think you've just given us some suggestions about starting a seminar series or organizing some other function within your department or within the structure of the Graduate Student Association or Postdoc Association. There's lots of leadership opportunities in postdoc associations because they're often loosely organized and there needs to be some leadership there. It's really a good way to learn some of those communication skills, leadership skills, et cetera. I don't know exactly how you might be able to do it, but um, an internship position with the kind of organization you might like to be a part of would be another way. So assuming that a trainee has a full-time job already, even though they're working remotely, they're still supposed to be doing some of the things related to their job. It's still possible to do a short-term internship consulting gig with a small company. Startup companies that come out of the university, uh, the universities that we're at are really good opportunities uh, for this. They don't have enough people to do all the tasks that they need. They need somebody to do some marketing to find out who they're gonna be able to sell their product with. They need somebody to think about product valuation. How much are they gonna be able to sell their product for? They also are looking ahead if it's a for-profit uh, operation, to the idea that they might sell to another, uh, to a larger organization. And so uh, doing research about who those potential um, acquisition uh, companies might be 
could be a project that could be done. There are some universities that have taken the lead by having groups of graduate students or postdocs who do these part-time uh, consulting internships. Uh, it takes a bit of work to get them started. They're often, they've been a collaboration between science department and a business school. Hmm. Might be a good way to find a, a company uh, to join. But there's nothing that says that you can't volunteer with an organization that you've connected with. So you're connected to a museum, and it's a small museum that may not have a big communications department. Perhaps you could help work on a project with them to do some of the writing that they need to do to communicate with others. And particularly if your interest is in the communications realm, you would have a product when you're done with that to be able to demonstrate to other people what you can do besides just the typical academic uh, CV or resume. That's very, that's a very good suggestion. And even though things are still shut down in Chicago and Illinois, I, I suppose here in Texas, museums and parks uh, just opened. So depending on the state that um, that people are living in, conditions might be different and, and some muse museums might be open or art galleries. Right. And nonprofit organizations are always short on staff. So if there's a nonprofit that works in an area that you're particularly interested in, that could be a fruitful approach to uh, getting some experience that way. What do, you, what do you think are some other more quote-unquote non-traditional ways for finding jobs besides personal connections or being on you know, email um, mailing lists or um, doing LinkedIn searches? Do you have any suggestions for where else people could find jobs right now? And, um... No, not, not really. I think it's making those connections. That's the, that's right. the thing that I would emphasize. There might be some other ways that would be very low probability uh, ways to look, but I think it's, uh, it's exploring through other people and through connections that's going to be the uh, most productive way for people to spend their time. Excellent. Let's switch topics just a little bit. Surveys and studies say that about seven out of 10 scientists and engineers in the U.S. work in the commercial sector, for-profit or non-profit, um, and only about two out of 10 work in academia, according to the National Science Foundation. Um, but when I talk to grad students and, and fellow postdocs in my university, in my department, it seems like most of them are primarily looking for work in academia. Do you have the same sense from people you talk to and if you do, why do you think that is? I definitely have the same sense. Uh, when it, it seems like the data don't uh, dissuade uh, everyone. And they think that um, if there's someone else that's not going to get an academic position, it's the person on the left of them or the person that's on the right of them. For some reason, they don't think the data apply to them. To some extent, it's because we're most familiar with academic, uh, the academic environment. We're comfortable there. 
It's within our comfort zone and we don't know what's out beyond that. So it's another advantage of exploring and having conversations with people that are in other jobs to find uh, out about it. To some extent, it's the, the rumors that they've heard about lifestyle or about the lack of security uh, in industry positions where um, if they're not profitable, they have to close divisions. It's, it's really a business. I think the advice that we've given as faculty members often is colored by, by our experiences because after all, most of us have only experienced the academic environment. Language has been a problem that hasn't, it hasn't helped us a lot in this area. Language has been used to describe alternative careers. Anything mm. that's not academic has been described in the past as an alternative career. And perhaps for the last decade, many of us have, uh, have really argued for not using that term. Because the truth is that for more than 30 years, less than the majority of PhDs went on to tenure track academic faculty positions. The best estimates now in the biological sciences, which may not apply exactly in, in the climate field, are that less than 10% of current PhD wow. students will ever find tenure track faculty positions. Hmm. That was pre-pandemic estimates. So it almost seems the tenure track positions are the alternative career and working in the private sector is the traditional path. Well, I wouldn't say the private sector is, no. but other things outside of academia, which after all include for profit, but that's about 30% roughly of the of PhD uh, scientists. Another 10% or so work in government. And there's mm -hmm. some wonderful opportunities in government agencies, both primarily at the federal level, but also at the state level. And then there's entrepreneurship. Why should we have only people from business starting new companies and uh, profiting from new apps? We, we could be developing apps related to our discipline and you don't need a degree in computer science to be the one that thinks of what would work. You might be able to hire someone to help you uh, put it together. Mm -hmm. uh, so entrepreneurship is really a place where uh, I think we'll find more and more young PhDs finding opportunities with small companies and uh, developing their own intellectual property. If you could very broadly describe jobs in academia and outside of academia, what are some main differences that people may not be aware of in terms of goals, in terms of salary? Well, um, it differs with all of those uh, areas that we just talked about. Uh, Government jobs, I think one could, uh, could make a generalization that they're more stable. After all, people that work in government positions aren't laid off right now. They're continuing uh, their salaries during this pandemic and they have long-term security. True. But they're affected by politics. 
So whether at the federal level or the state or city level, those positions are going to change. Um, and you might be working on a project that you think is really important, but that becomes not the main goal of the organization and you're required to, to switch. In business, uh, there are really quite a lot of similarities. You might have to pitch uh, for the funding for your group in a similar way that we make a pitch with our grant proposals. So you've got to get funding to keep your project going um, and you're going to be writing a business plan that looks very much like uh, a grant application. I suppose the goal of, of a business is not necessarily to expand our knowledge in certain areas, but to find ways to make a profit. Sure, the businesses focus on things with practical application by and large. They do small amounts of basic science research, but the idea is that it's gonna develop into a product and PhDs can be involved in many places along that product development. If it's a drug, uh, for example, there are PhDs that are involved in the regulatory affairs aspect of it. They're involved in the marketing. They're involved in the quality uh, control in the manufacturing part of the process. There are differences in the focus and the project that you're working on, if the business side of, of your company decides that even if you're successful putting this together, it's not going to be a financial success, then funding would likely uh, be withdrawn uh, mm. for, that, uh, for that project. Um, I think Another really big factor in most of the positions that I know of in government and business have to do with the idea of teamwork. We've been trained that we're supposed to be the ones that lead and drive everything. But in business, there's a recognition that you bring people to the table, they all have knowledge that can contribute to success and the and the knowledge of the whole group is bet is more than any one individual. Hmm. And so there's a real value to working in teams and what's called cross-disciplinary teams. You're not always going to be working with scientists in your same discipline. You're going to be working with a business person on your team. You're going to be working with an engineer. You're going to be working with other people who speak a different language. And you need to work across those language barriers with other people. And that's where communication and teamwork and maybe leadership skills come in. Absolutely. One last question. When do you think, do you think things will get back to whatever normal was on the job market? Do you think we're seeing a transition now, perhaps from, uh, from in-person going to work to what most of us are doing right now is working from home, working in home offices, do you think that will go back in the future whenever um, conditions become safe enough to do that? Or do you think this is more of a uh, one-way street that we're going? Well, for those of us that work in laboratories, there's no way we can do all of this uh, remotely. If the science that, your work, that you work in is 
primarily a data science where you're analyzing data that are collected in other, uh, in other venues, then perhaps you could work uh, remotely and there, there might be some changes there. I suspect that this might create a little bit more flexibility for people on whether they decide whether they have to work always in an office or if they can do more telecommuting. So for some people that there's gonna be a transition so that they're allowed to, but those of us that work in laboratories, we have to work in a laboratory to get anything done. So we, we have to figure out how we can safely allow people to come back uh, into the laboratories and use the sophisticated equipment that we have and discover new things. So I think surely things will change as a result of this, but the fundamental aspects of, of discovering uh, new things in science, we'll have to get back to that uh, situation eventually. And I don't have a crystal ball to tell you how long it's gonna take for that to happen. Oh, I was really hoping for that. Thank you very much, Phil. Uh, this, is, this has been an extremely insightful and I really appreciate uh, the time that you took out of your busy schedule. Is there anything else you would like to add? Uh, the, the one personal note I would have is to have people not be so hard on themselves uh, during this time. You, you need a break from all of the things that are, uh, that are going on. So be comfortable working in shorter spurts where you're putting effort uh, intensely uh, into your projects, but then give yourself a break to come away from that and spend some time with family, go outside for a walk. Um, you can't uh, just spend all of your time focusing on a monitor and on Zoom meetings, it's just not a healthy uh, situation uh, for us. I think people have the, have the perception that they need to be in front of their computers all of the time. Mm -hmm because they're still working full time. I, I think that's not a healthy uh, situation. And we just need to be satisfied getting some work done for the day, writing out uh, to-do lists that have small uh, goals that we can finish and then check those off so that we can feel good about what we've uh, accomplished. That's true, I should do that more. Well, this coming from a professor of applied health sciences, I think we should all um, we should all follow this advice. Dr. Phil Clifford, it was an honor and a big pleasure to talk to you. Uh, thank you very much again. Well, I really thank you for inviting me, though, Tony. I, I uh, it's an honor uh, to be part of your podcast. And that's it for this episode of the ECCF podcast, produced and edited by Tony Clem with input by Adrian Wooten, Megan Gukian, and Kate Rodler. These are tough times for all of us on the job market and those looking for a career change, but especially for the thousands of students who just graduated. We hope this episode gave you inspiration and insight for ways to find work and opportunities to shape your career. If you want to share your situation with us, feel free to send us an email at eccfpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. We wish you all the best. Stay safe and healthy. For the Early Career Climate Forum, I'm Tony Clem.